Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Define University podcast, a space designed for educators to ignite your passion, transform your mindset, and learn to love who you are in the process. My name is Lindsay Titus, and I am here to share simple yet strategic steps each week with you to build your momentum into creating a life full of purpose and passion. The time is now. Let's dive on in to today's episode. Welcome back to another new episode of the Define University podcast and another edition of the Share Your Story series. I'm so excited to bring Raymond Porton onto the podcast today. Ray, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I listen to your podcast all the time. I'm a huge fan. So being a part of this is just, is an honor. Oh, I am so excited. And, you know, it's funny back, you know, when I started this podcast just about a year ago, uh, it was really the first week of January. And I was like, why not? Let's just, let's see if I can do it. And my goal was, was solely to put out 52 episodes. That was my goal was just, if I can do it for a year, I will be like so proud and go. And as I was going, my intent was really just to do my, my show, like my voice and, and share things. But as I got going and then quarantine hit, I started connecting with so many educators and I started being on social media and, and these connections truly flourished. Like what started with one turned into 10, turned into 50. And I feel like my PLN went through the roof, which I'm hearing from, from other educators as well. And so it was at that time that I was like, why am I not sharing this too? And I believe wholeheartedly in our stories of educators. And I'm so honored and grateful that you are here tonight to share your story as you, have, you are someone that I've connected with over, um, over the last few months. And so would you, to start off kind of sharing your story, would you just share with the Define You listeners just a little bit about who you are as an educator? Yeah. Um, so I am a elementary school principal. Uh, I have about 440 first through fifth graders um, in Round Lake, Illinois. Uh, I am a father of two. I, should, I probably should have started with. I'm a father of two. Uh, I have an amazing wife who um, puts up with me being a principal and having crazy hours that don't always coincide with like a, a, a lot of time at home. Um, but she is great and she uh, is real flexible and works with me on it. So, um, but then I have two boys. I have a fifth grader and a third grader. And I've, I, I'm one of the people, I don't know, I'm weird because I knew I wanted to be a teacher from like my junior year in high school. I knew I wanted to be in education. Um, I, it was funny because I used to coach my little brother's teams in sports and, and my dad coached. So I would help him coach and um, I just got involved with working with kids and loved it and then uh, my junior year I heard an announcement over the morning announcements which nobody ever listens to in high school but for some reason I heard this one and it was if you want to be a teacher, like apply for the golden apple teaching scholarship. And I went down and talked to my guidance counselor and said, what is this? And he's like, I have no idea. Let's, uh, let's nominate you and see what happens. And well, now 25, 26 years later, I am, you know, working in education and I love it. I, uh, I started as a fifth grade teacher and I worked in the middle school a little bit. I was a dean of students, a middle school um, assistant principal, and now an elementary school principal. Oh, I love it so much. So you always knew that, you know, education was, was a calling for you, that this was kind of something you were like, this is it. At what point did you kind of feel that, okay, I feel like what I'm meant to do in the classroom has kind of come and now I'm ready for what's next? Like what... What was there anything that really kind of led you to be like, I think I'm ready for what's next in terms of, you know, administration or a higher leadership position? You know, honestly, when I first went into teaching, I thought there was no chance you'd ever catch me in an administrative role. And I'll admit, I was probably not the ideal um, teacher. Like when it came to dealing with administration, I was the one who was questioning things. I was the one who was asking why. Um, and, and quite honestly, I got let go my second year teaching. Um, and we had three components in our evaluations then. And the first one was like teaching. I got an excellent. The second one was planning preparation. I got an excellent. And then I got a needs improvement in um, teamwork and working with others. And I went in and talked to the principal about it. And she's like, you asked too many questions. And I was like, but I do everything you ask of me. I just, I don't want to do curriculum mapping for the fifth time in a row when I've done it four times, you know? And, and she said, well, I'm sorry, I'm letting you go. Um, you questions, you picked the wrong side 
Um, and I said, wow, I always picked the kid's side. So I don't know which side you picked. And that probably didn't help my cause. Um, but anyhow, it, you know what? It all happens for a reason. I ended up in a good place after that. And um, so I never thought I wanted to go into administration, but my grandma always said, and I, 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 I'm not kidding you. When she found out I wanted to be a teacher, we were walking into my brother's basketball game and the principal at the time was a younger principal. And she stopped and my grandma was um, little short real short Japanese woman. And she stopped and, and she told him, he's going to be just like you. He's going to be a principal, just like you, a young principal. And, and I was like, no, no, no. And then sure enough, she was right. And I think the thing I saw was, I love the impact I could have in the classroom. And then I was a, a lead teacher where I was still a classroom teacher, but I was in charge of the team. And I realized I could have a bigger impact. And then it was like, well, why not be, you know, an administrator? So I went and got my uh, type 75 certificate. And I thought I'm never going to go more than a dean of students or assistant principal because the principal position is way too far away from kids in the classroom. Like I didn't want to be in all the red tape and the, you know, the, the minutia of administration. Um, and I worked with Jeff Prickett. He was my principal that I worked with one year or two years. And he showed me that you can do both. You can still do all the principal stuff but you can still be the guy standing at the front door greeting the kids. He knew every kid in our middle school, especially the ones that, you know, needed to know someone. Um, and he really showed me that I could do all the things I wanted to do with kids, but also run a whole building and be part of it. So he got me to look at, okay, maybe I can be a principal too. So, um, that was it. It was just trying to ex expand my voice. And, and then, you know, that led me to being a principal. And like you just said, your PLN has grown in the last, in the last eight months, I've gained a PLN. Like I, I had a PLN, but it was only people I knew like that I worked with or that I've lived, um, you know, been in classes with or whatever. And now, I mean, I can't, my wife is like, who are you talking to on the phone now? And I'm like, Oh, it's this guy from South Carolina. He's awesome. Or it's this, this guy from Texas. You got to meet him, you know, and, and my PLN is just enormous. I, I go to the, the teach better team mastermind uh, some days or some weeks twice. Like, you know, I mean, this week it was one of the weeks I went twice. Cause, and in you know, that second one probably was, you know, time I could have been spending with my family and they, my son loved it. Cause that meant he got the TV um, and he didn't have to worry about me. But I, I was like, you know, I just, I needed it that week. I needed just to be with another group and talk and just see what's going on and try to share and, and, I don't know. It's been so important. So um, now I think that's how I'm kind of expanding my voice is by PLN and, you know, podcasting and that kind of stuff. Oh, so good. Yes. And I, I absolutely know what you mean. So I was on one of those calls this week too. And I, I, so I, I'm finishing, I've just wrapped up my fourth class for my admin uh, cert. I have three classes left and I had a pretty, pretty rough paper to write. It was a time, time crunch paper. And I finished and I went, you know, and I checked in, you know, with my husband and my daughter and I was like, how you guys doing? And I go, <laughs> I looked at him, I go, I absolutely need to be on this mastermind call right now. So yes, I was just on the computer for three hours, but I need this. This is like a, a inner need right now. And they both were like, okay. <laughs> and, and it was, again, just having that network. And so, you know, and it's something I bring up regularly on here because, you know, as my listeners know, I'm all about defining you, like define who you are. And yes, that comes from within, but it's so important to surround yourself with people that inspire and amplify you, right? Like you've got to be your cheerleader. You've got to be in your corner. You've got to be the person that's cheering you on. But it also really helps to have people around you that are supportive of you and often like one step, you know, one step ahead of you so that you can see, oh, it is possible. And I think for me, when I started this, this admin program, principle wasn't even on my mind. Like I was like, ah, I don't know, you know, I'm thinking more in the like special ed realm, you know, maybe coordinator, maybe director down the road, but I'm not going to lie, like connecting with so many principals and assistant principals, I'm now thinking like, it's not off the table anymore. Like now I'm like, let's expand the options and let's see what's out there. And I think What's really cool, and this is kind of a life lesson, is you don't have to have everything mapped out. I think so often we want to know what does tomorrow look like and also what does 10 years from tomorrow look like. And ultimately, we have to know what the first step is. What's step one and then two and then three. And so if someone out there is listening, thinking, well, you know, what else is out there for me? What else can I do in education? You know, my, my kind of tip or recommendation is to trust that. You don't have to know every step. And just let today guide you to tomorrow. Is there anything that comes to mind with you? Or if you have a teacher that comes to you and says, I'm not sure if I want to teach forever, but I want to do something else. Like, how do I know what to do? Kind of what, what advice do you give, give your staff? I always, so I try really hard to grow my staff. And so one of the things that my dad used to say, my dad was a construction manager, a superintendent, um, carpentry. And he used to always say, 
when you're um, in charge of people, you try to train them to be able to do your job. And he goes, because that allows them to grow. It allows you to grow because you have people who can help carry and it allows your company to be bigger. And so I firmly believe in that. And so if people ask me, like, what should I do? I always ask them like, what is their passion? What do they want to do? And, and let's, exp- let's dig into that. And maybe let's try some little things in leadership in the building that you could do right now and see how that fits. See how you like that. Um, I, you know, I had a teacher that actually just last year, she was, it was her first year in my building. Um, she was new to the district, but she was an experienced teacher and she was, she's amazing. And being a first year teacher, leadership opportunities in the building weren't just jumping out at her because everybody kind of had roles and stuff. And I remember telling her, like, I need to find some leadership roles for you because you have something about you that is just, it, it, it needs to expand. You need to get your voice out there more. And, and so this year, just as cards played out the way they are, a position on my leadership team for the building opened up and I was like, I want you on it. Like you're, you know, and it, it's one of those things that you just try to give people those little tastes of it, little opportunities. Um, and see how they like it, how they feel with it. Um, my current assistant principal came to me last year and said, you know, there's assistant principal positions opening up. I don't know if I want to, he was a curriculum person. It's like, I don't know if I want to do that. I want to get back into the building, but how do I know? And I said, first of all, you need to find a building that works for you, that fits for you. You need to find a principal that you can work with um, and that, you know, and you're in a good spot because you got a good position. So find something that works for you and then go ahead, take the chance. Um, it's a scary jump to make. Um, I don't ever look at it as a step up because <laughs> we all know teachers, we can't have a school without teachers. And so I don't care how many administrators you have. If you don't have teachers in the classrooms, that your school is not going to be good. Um, and so you have to have good teachers. And so I, I look at it as it's just a different role in a school. Um, Cause let's be real honest, secretaries and custodians run schools, try to do anything in a school without a secretary and a custodian. And I don't care who you are, you can't do it. So as an administrator, I'm fully aware that I have to have a very good secretary. I have, you know, because she's going to run my school. She is in charge of so many things behind the scenes that people don't. So you just try to give people those roles and those opportunities and see and find a good fit for them and, and, you know, and then encourage them and help give them those um, tools that they might need to get there. Absolutely. And so there's two things that, that show just like, like stuck with me on that. And the one is, is hearing you talk about what you do for teachers. The, the very next thought I was like, and this is the, um, the, almost the exact, if not the exact thing we can do with our students, right? We find their passion. We create leadership opportunities in our schools or in our classrooms. We, you know, provide those levels of success. And especially for those students that are not motivated, that don't want to come to school, but do and show up and, are ready for, for something different. Like to me, that's, that's where we can start is where are their strengths and let's continue. You know, I often say a student's strengths or a person's strengths is where you're going to find solutions to your problems. We focus on the deficits, the things that we can't do. We're going to, we're going to find resentment. And we see that, right? The kids that constantly go to class that, Oh, this teacher always, you know, never supports me, brings me down, that kind of thing. They're focusing, they're going to start resenting school and not come. And we're seeing that in my district, we're seeing an increase in just, and this was prior to quarantine, prior to COVID-19, you know, increase in school refusal, increase in school avoidance as a whole. And I just think if we can tap more into passion and strengths, um, I think it really resonates well. And the second thing that, that you said that really just aligned with my own personal story is I remember going into my interview for this, for this admin program. And I've always been a little, I don't know if embarrassed is the word, but I've had a lot of jobs. I've had in 15 years, I've worked for six or seven different things. And I've done public school, private school. Um, what else have I done? Non-for-profit. I've done in-home insurance-based therapy. So I've done, I've done a lot in education. And I was always a little like, what are other people going to think? What are people going to think that, I, that I've tried all these things? And, and I explained why to the person. She goes, <laughs> she stopped me like halfway through. She's like, you can stop. She goes, I don't, you don't need to justify why you did. She goes, I see you're curious. I see you're somebody full of wonder of what else is out there. And, and, and I thought of that when you said, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, going to the next level, so to speak of, of, of going up, but it's just another experience. It's another opportunity. And, and I think for me, that's what so much of life is about is what can I experience? How do I learn and grow from it? And then make that determination based on what's your passion, what's your vision and mission. So I just, I love the way that you, that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, I firmly believe to go back to your first point of leading from an opportunity of growth, but like from the strength. So like when I go into a teacher's classroom, I literally am looking at what do you do really well? Let's grow that to help improve the areas that you're struggling. So if you're a teacher, I had, I did, I had a teacher one year, he was first year teacher, super creative, super artistic. 
uh, loved playing music and he was struggling with classroom management, but he was trying to be the don't smile till December, you know, like hard disciplinarian. And that was not him as a person and his kids saw it. And so I said, listen, be you like, you got a guitar sitting behind your, your, your desk for a reason. And I went back and saw him a week later to see how he was doing and, you know, follow up. And he's playing songs about nouns in front of his kids and they're all engaged. They're all participating. And it really, we have to look at what teachers do. I, I, you said it, I try to work my school just like I did my classroom. And I try to model for my teachers what I want to see them do with kids. And so giving opportunities and building from areas of strength and not focusing on the things we can't control and focusing on the things we can. And so those are our interactions. Those are how we teach. Those are what we teach. Um, and it's the same thing for me. I can't control so many things in my teachers' lives or in their classrooms, but I can control how I run my staff meetings. I can control how I talk to my staff, how I work with them, what I do when I go into a walkthrough. Do I give them 50 things to improve on? Or do I say, here's what you're doing really well. Let's see if we can grow that to help with this area, you know, and, and let's focus on one thing that we can do better or one thing that we can do based on something you're doing really well. So I really believe in those things. I think they're so important because one, teaching is a tough profession. It's a very personal profession, probably the most personal profession. Teachers put everything they have into every day with other people's kids and, and but they treat them like their own kids. And, you know, and so when you go into a teacher and you try to tell them how they can improve, like you got to be careful how you do that because you're not just attacking their craft. It's not like, hey, when you work on a car, you can do this differently. Like it's a personal connection that you're, you're kind of directing your critique of. And so you really need to treat it with that respect and, and respect the person for what they're doing. So I think it's so important. Yeah. And I think, again, something that correlates directly to students too. I, I so often, you know, and I, I, again, in my role, I'm brought in most often for the students that are displaying, you know, negative or challenging behavior that's impacting their education. And oftentimes, even just as I'm walking up to introduce myself to the student to say, hi, to I always, you know, provide a compliment or some type of, you know, I see you comment first, you see like the shoulders go up, you see the hesitation, because they're so used to always being told what not to do, or to stop doing something or that they didn't hand it in yet, or that they didn't what they didn't do. And I think, you know, on another level of what, you know, really what define you came out of is we do that to ourselves too, right? How, how much negative self-talk are we using on what we can't do and what we need to improve on? And that's why I try and, you know, break that barrier down and let's celebrate, let's celebrate our strengths. Let's celebrate the successes. I don't care how small it is because in, in the world, it doesn't matter. There is no big or small, right? That's just a predetermined you know, definition, we give something. And so I think if anybody, you know, listening is like, where do I start? How do I how do I focus on strengths? Like, again, you can't get it wrong, but realize like anchor into those strengths and help either yourself find your strengths, help if you're, you know, an administrator, or even a teacher, help another teacher find their strengths and help your students, because that really is where you're going to find those solutions. Yeah. And whenever anybody says like, where do I start? I, so one of the things I firmly believe in is every interaction we have with someone is an opportunity, no matter how small. I don't, in the grocery store, if you see someone with like a couple items and you're getting to the line, let them go first and give them a smile, you know, and, and you never know what those interactions can do. So I always say like, don't miss those opportunities. It could be the smallest thing. It could be that you took two seconds to stop what you were doing and walk over and ask a student how they were doing as they walked into class. It could be that you got down on one knee when you introduced yourself to a student. Um, I love when parents or people come to tour the school for the first time and, and they have their student with them. And I, I, I've got called on it by a parent before because I, I introduced myself to a student first. And uh, one parent was like, well, I'm Mr. I'm like, yeah, one second, sir. And I got down and I, I gave his daughter, I shook her hand. I said, hi, I'm Mr. Porton. How are you? And then I got up and shook his hand and said, how are you doing? You know, um, because to me, it's about the child. It's, it's their school. They're the one who have to feel comfortable there, not the adult. And the adult has to feel comfortable sending their child. I get that. But if that child says, I like that place, then guess what? The adult's going to feel more comfortable. So it, it, you have to take those little opportunities. And they're little things that nobody might notice. Some people might notice. But y if you miss them, sometimes those are your opportunity. And you, you then you're behind the eight ball for the rest of the year. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I... 
I think I love what I, what I love so this is like very selfish here. What I love so much about this conversation is it's that like own like validation for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I do that. Not not to that degree, but I do that, you know, again, if I'm called and the student has a paraprofessional, I go to the child first. Like I am I am on the student's level. And oftentimes, you know, as because they're trying to be helpful, they want me to hear the whole story. You know, the, the para will give me more information and I'm and I will say, I will absolutely talk with you too, but right now. I want to, I want to hear from, you know, this student, what's going on? How can I help? You know, let me talk with you because I want them to know I see you and I hear you. And so I think it's, I also love, you know, one of the things I really try and celebrate here at Define You is it's not meant to be hard in terms of it being these huge complex strategies we have to use that you truly do get to use the same strategies inside and outside of the classroom, that things get to be small and simple. And I always say strategic too, because you want it to align to you, you, who you are, you know, align to your values or the student that you're talking with. And, and I just love that, that you've already shared so many of these small little moments that are so powerful and impactful and that it doesn't have to be the time consuming, expensive, all the things that, that we often think. And I know I did as an educator, um, but it really does get to be those small moments that can sometimes have, be the most valuable. And I know I know when a teacher, and you've got 20 some kids in your class, those small moments for that one child sometimes are hard to get to every time. And you, I'm sure you know that sometimes those kids that need it, they need it every chance they give you, they need you to take advantage of that moment. Um, and that means that sometimes they're getting the attention that another kid's not, or they're getting, but they might need that at that moment. And that gives you and in with them for the next moment. And maybe then the next time it, it's a little bit less t- or more time in between when they need it and, and such. And so you, you have to take those opportunities and you have to know your students enough to know, can I ask this student to wait a second while I go deal with another student? How can I do that? How is the best way to address it? Um, and you never know. I mean, I remember my first year teaching, I was teaching fifth grade. I had a student come in and you could see on his face, something was wrong. And I was trying to get him to work first hour, you know, first class, it was math. And he was just, his head was down. And I was like, all right. And so I asked him to come out in the hall and talk to me. And I, I asked him, I was like, what's going on? He's like, I'm just really tired. I was at the hospital all night. And I was like, okay. I was like, what happened? He's like, my grandpa, and he just starts crying. And I mean, this was a big boy who was very tough. He goes, my grandpa. And I said, stop right there. You know what? There's beanbags over there in the reading corner. Go take a nap. Let me know when you're ready to come learn. And we'll, we'll get to the math, you know? And his mom called me because like fourth hour to tell me that they were at the hospital all night. Grandpa was sick. And I knew this child, grandpa was his idol. It was the only male figure he had in his life. He, him and mom lived with grandpa. From the, that moment on though, that boy would do anything I asked him in class because I took a couple minutes to say, your life is more important than my math class. Go do what you got to do. We'll get to math. And, 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 and that wasn't, I mean, honestly, I'm compassionate and doing, you know, what I would hope someone would do for mom, but it turns out that it really was that thing that this child then, and I mean, he's now reached out to me as an, uh, as a young adult. Well, now he's a full adult. Um, and, and he found me on Facebook and he tells me like, remember when you let me sleep in class? And I'm like, well, you got to And he posts that on Facebook. I'm like, you got to give a little more detail to that because there was more to it than I just let you sleep in class. Um, but you, you know, sometimes those little things, it is so important that that's what he remembered about my class. You know, um, it wasn't what he learned in math. It wasn't anything. It was that, or I have other students that they remember the jokes I tell or the, the pranks I pull or, you know, like whatever it is, th- that's so often what they remember. And that's so often what makes them become good students is that connection that you build with them. Um, but you can't miss the opportunities. And, and I could have got on that boy. I could have said, you need to get up and get your work done. I could have done whatever. And I will guarantee the rest of that school year, him and I would have probably not, not had a good year. Um, and I would have been calling you in to come and say, Lindsay, how do I help this child? He won't listen to anything I'm doing. He, he's defiant. He's rebellious, you know? And instead I ended up having a kid that, I mean, led the class in Mr. Porton said, do this, let's go. You know, like, and, and everybody jumped behind because he was the leader in the class, you know? Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to guess you've mentioned a little bit of it, but One of the questions I love to ask educators is really to describe what your mission is. So I think it's really important as educators, we know why we do what we do. We know why we get up every day and and handle the long days and the hours and the the change and the new initiatives and all the things that come with being an educator. And so I think when, when people know what their mission is, you know, I know on the tough days, I read mine three, four or five times a day um, because it helps keep me centered and grounded in knowing why I'm here. 
Um, so I would love for you to share a little bit um, about what your mission is as an educator. It's funny because the tagline on my email that I put there is academic excellence and social emotional confidence for every student. And I firmly believe that is my goal for every student. But if you ask me what my mission is, it's a little different and it's changed over the last couple of years and it's, it becomes a lot more um, global. And it's just, I want to make the world a better place. I want to make the world a better place. I w- and for, and that means for me with every interaction I have with people, do I tr- make their world better? Um, and, and, and so my secretary, um, she, my former secretary, she stopped in to the building and she's like, I said something about, I had to play nice with somebody. And she says, that's what you do so well with people. She goes, I used to love sending angry parents back to your office. She goes, because they would come back there just ready to yell and scream. And they'd leave like shaking your hand and thanking you. And you would just be smiling and just being pleasant. And and she said, and it wasn't that you weren't getting your way. Like you always got them to do what you wanted. She goes, but you were just so nice to people. And you just, I think people can tell when they, when they work with you that you're doing what you think is best for them or their child or the, or the world. And, and that really is my goal. And I hope that comes across with people. Um, I want to make interactions with people. I want to make everybody's day better. Um, and what I have found over the last eight months to year with the pandemic is I have to be much more intentional. <laughs> it's not as easy to just, I, I used to love, I used to love my, in the beginning of the day, I'd get to school, I'd do my stuff and then teachers would start showing up and I would walk the halls and just say hi to them as they were getting in their classrooms and just, how was your night? What's going on? I can't do that anymore. I used to love the first five minutes of school when the kids were coming in, I could meet them at the door and give them high fives and give them hugs. And um, whether I had a little girl, her last name's King, she would always knight me. I'd get down on a knee, she'd knight me with her hand because she's royalty and that's how you treat royalty. And I, I, I miss all that. And so I got to be much more intentional where, you know, I have to now make a phone call to a teacher and say, how are you doing? I'm not just going to zoom with you when it's convenient. I'm not just going to send you an email. I'm going to call and say, how's it, how are things going? I'm going to, you know, send postcards to teachers handwritten to say, thank you for what you're doing because we have to find those little ways and we have to be intentional with them. And so I truly believe that if I can make the world better for my teachers and give them the opportunity, they're going to make it better for students. And that rip effect that can occur. I love it. And, you know, I think I resonated with so much of what you, of what you said. And I think it's that intentionality piece is, is huge. And I, you know, I've been, I've been learning that too this year. I was somebody that, you know, last couple of years, you know, I, I always, you know, would find little ways, you know, and, and I, I still have, it's, it's interesting to me. So, you know, I'm a big, you know, little note person. So I'm in and out of 10 schools. And so I don't often have a long time in one building or another. I'm, I'm always going. And so I love leaving like little notes as I'm leaving the school, you know, in the mailboxes of the classroom that I just visited, or if I saw something cool in the hall. And I don't know if it was just the, the, oh my goodness, this is a crazy school year or what, but I kind of lost sight of that in, in September and October. And I think one of the things I'm super grateful for is that I'm very in tune with how I'm feeling. And when things are off, I know it pretty quickly. And I really like got in tune. I was like, what's different? Obviously there's things that are different this year, but my role really wasn't that different. I was still in 10 buildings, helping staff, helping students. And it was that intentionality piece. And it was that I was doing things just kind of off the cuff and okay, now I'm going to go here. Now I'm going to go here and there really wasn't any intention behind how do I best support these these teachers and understand what's going on because while my role really didn't change their roles did 180s you know they yes they're teaching in in person but they're now teaching smaller classes six feet apart with masks with this with that and I don't know that, you know, and again, through my own, you know, reflection, introspection, I don't know because my role didn't really change. And so it was very different for me. Um, But that intentionality piece, I I resonate with completely because if we're not intentional, we are often then doing things either because we think we should or because it's what we've always done, which for me are two areas I don't like to be in. (laughs) Oh my God. The worst thing someone can say to me is, no, we have to do it that way. It's the way we've always done it. I I can't stand that. And not because a part of me is I always refer to myself as like a lunatic fringe. Like you say like, Hey, we need to go through that wall. And I'm trying to figure out how to break the wall down. My, my wife, actually, her and I, we we've joked because our first couple of years of marriage, we had to find this out about each other. We're complete opposites. Like she would say, I want to paint that room. And I would have the drop cloth down, be taping off and be 
putting paint on the wall. And she meant she wanted to talk about it and plan it for two years before we actually did it. And so we had to joke, we joke that like she slows me down to plan and I speed her up to actually get it done. Um, but it, you're right about the intentionality piece because what I found is if you're not being intentional, you're being react and you're reacting. And and it's too hard to be consistent towards your purpose, towards your mission, towards when you're reacting all the time. That you have to be more intentional because that allows you to be planned, to be to put it together the way you want it to be and not just flying by the seat of your pants, making this decision than that decision. And this, you know, you have to be more deliberate with everything. So I think that intentionality just means it allows me to be very, it's not, the word is calculated, but it's not like I'm like some mastermind twisting my mustache. Um, it's more along the lines of like, I just want to make sure that I'm being deliberate. I always said, I want my teachers to know no matter what the question, they already know the answer before they ask me because they know how I'm going to respond. They know what my answer is going to be. They know why I'm going to say what it is. And they know when I'm going to push back or not, because then I know that when I'm doing that, I'm giving them more of an opportunity to be creative and take chances on their own because they already know where I'm going to come from on that. And when I can't do that, then that puts them, I mean, just like our students, when you're not consistent um, and they don't know how to predict how you're going to respond, then what happens with them? They start taking chances, knowing that they're pushing you to find your response or they're, they don't take chances and they, 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 um, fall back and kind of curl up into their safe space. And I want my students taking chances. I want my teachers taking chances. So I got to make sure that I'm trying to be as consistent as possible to know, let them know, like, yeah, I know I can try this because Ray's going to support it. Like, I don't even really have to ask. I'm going to ask, but I know he's going to support it. Yes. Uh, so important. And, and again, it doesn't take, it takes relationship, right? It takes knowing your staff. It takes no having them know you, right? Having that, that trust. So what I say is also what I do and having that ability. And I think it's so important. I, I feel like the last couple of weeks, I've really been talking to a lot um, of staff about this difference between proactive and reactive because it is, it's that question of, well, what do I do when it happens? And I'm like, well, what are we going to do before it happens? Mm -hmm. And if, if you've asked me that question, it tells me it's happened a couple different times because people don't usually reach out after just one you know, incident unless it was like the big one. And I'll say, you can prepare yourself for when the behavior happens. Like walk through it in your mind. What are you going to do? And tell your students, you know, from a global perspective, I may not address everything that happens in class because I want to keep teaching. That's why I'm here to keep teaching. So I'm not going to, you know, stop for everything, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to talk later. Doesn't mean we're not going to have a conversation. And, and I think that's the, that's the piece is you can be ready for it, but being ready for it doesn't mean that you're like just sitting back waiting for it to happen. But you mm -hmm. then get to when it does, when it shows, it's either not going to surface because now you're putting your energy, you're prioritizing your energy into what, um, where it needs to be, where you're going to get, you know, that, that connection and that relationship. But if something does happen, you're calm. You can not only find your calm, you can share it. And then you can engage with a student instead of enraging them into something else. You yeah. know, and I think it's the same for teachers and students. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Well, one of the things I love to talk about is joy, because I think especially this year, we are all doing all that we can to anchor into joy. And again, remind ourselves why we do what we do and finding those small wins, finding those moments of celebration of success, no matter what it looks like. So what is it that brings you joy as an educator? As an educator, it's seeing, so professionally and personally, two different, you know, professionally, I love seeing people be successful. I, I, there's nothing more than I love seeing or hearing as a parent say, my child can't wait to go to school or a child today dropping, I was handing a Ziploc bag full of supplies to parents through a window. And all of a sudden the back window came down and a student goes, is that you, Mr. Porton? And I've got my mask on. And I was like, it is, how are you doing? And you know, um, that excitement that kids get from school, I think that's what we need to just, especially at the elementary level, um, but I mean, I guess in all levels, but if you can build that at the elementary, it, it kind of carries itself sometimes in the middle and high school, if you, if you do it right. Um, so I, I think that getting them to love school, love learning is so, so critical to me. Um, parents, when I taught fifth grade, I think I scared parents sometimes because at open house, I'd literally say like, we'll teach the math, the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to teach them how to love school, how to be learners, how to be lifelong learners learners how to be good citizens and the other stuff trust me it'll come but guess what you're going to learn about the american civil war like four times between now and senior year so if we don't get through all of it the way you think we should it's okay you know um 
we're going to get through the math. We're, you know, but uh, it's all about the building that child up and, and, and making them want to be in school and want to learn, love school and want to learn to love um, reading and learning and all that kind of stuff. Um, because if you can do that, you can teach them anything like, you know, but if they if you're fighting on whether they want to be at school or not, you're not going to teach them math, no matter how good of a math teacher you are, you know, I'm sorry. Like, it, you know, it's about connecting with them and getting them. So that for me is where I find my joy in the classroom in the school. I always, I love it. Cause I'll be in my office doing paperwork and stuff. And I hate that. Um, and so like, I will set timers and go, okay, I'm done with 20 minutes of work. I'm going to a classroom and I'll go into the first grade classroom and do a, a dance with them when they're doing their dances or I'll, you know, just observe. And I love going to first grade because they all get up and want to run to me and give me a hug. I'm like, no, stop. Your teacher's going to get mad. And they're like, but you're the principal. I'm like, yeah, but she won't let me in the classroom. I'm going to keep disrupting class. So go back to what you're supposed to do. She's in charge in her classroom. I'm just a guest here. Um, so I love that, you know, and, and that's where I get my energy. Then I can go back to doing my paperwork because I, you know, I got my fix of going in the classroom and seeing kids again. Um, so that's in, in school. And then I honestly, and I think you're the one who said it and I've, I've stole the term from you. I have to say not balancing, but blending. Um, it's so important. I love when I heard that, um, that I I've learned how to blend with my family and, and my personal life. And so, you know, I've learned, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make sure I'm home by a certain time. I'm going to make sure we, we always have dinner together as a family at the kitchen table. Like that is a must do from day one. My wife and I said, we're never going to not do that. And I hate the nights that I can't be home for dinner because that I, I I'm the one who disrupts that. Um, but it, it's, it's every Saturday. My, my wife knows on the weekend, her and the boys could say they want to go spend eight hours standing at a mall. And I'm like, let's do it. It's your weekend, whatever you guys want to do. Cause I know during the week it's crazy. Um, and so like right now on the weekends, I cook dinner with my boys every other weekend, they take turns picking out a meal and, and, and do it. And I just love that time. I know pandemic's been horrible for people and it's not a good thing, but I've actually enjoyed the time with my family that I've been able to create. And so now my goal is when we do go back to normal, like keeping it and keeping that, that blended life with life and work, because that's where I recharge myself is here at the house with the family and everything. So that's where I get it. I mean, I, I could talk for hours about cooking a meal with my sons or doing a podcast with my third grader or, you know, I mean, the different things that I got going, but it's really about just finding that, that way to blend them together and still find your joy, but not, you know, not, not doing my work, obviously you got to pay the bills, um, but you know, I mean, finding that balance, that blend together. Mm -hmm. And all right, you brought it up because when you mentioned, and I, and I know because we've connected, you know, when you mentioned cooking with your son, like this is like, when I cook with my daughter, it's like, make your own pizzas. It's like, <laughs> all right, put some sauce on some, on some dough and put some cheese on it. Can you just give like a couple because these blow me away. I like, I get so excited. I'm like, well, what are they making this week? Cause like, I get more excited. I'm like, I can't wait to see what's next. So can you just share a little bit? Cause I just think it's amazing. Yeah. So we started it, man, probably a month and a half, two months, probably two months ago where every Saturday I take turns with each, each of the two boys and they pick a meal. And sometimes we base it on a country. So one week, my uh, youngest one, my third grader, he picked Australia. I don't know what they eat in Australia besides like um, throw another shrimp on the Barbie, you know, or, or something. And so I looked it up online and then I, I messaged a friend of mine who I worked with at summer camp from Australia. I was like, Hey, Bay, um, what do you eat in Australia? Like what's a traditional meal? It's ironic. Their number one traditional meal is chicken primavera. I, go figure. But then he threw out bangers and mash, which I knew was sausage and mashed potatoes. And then he says, pie float. What's a pie float? And he's like, look it up. And so we did. And we ended up making pie floats for dinner, which was split pea soup with a hand pie, like a meat pie okay. sitting in the middle of it. Absolutely delicious. Um, my other son, so my oldest son, he likes more like stick to your ribs, like not fancy. So he, he picks Canada because he wants to make a poutine. So we made uh, a, but, but it's not just any poutine. Like he's like, dad, we got to do like a braised beef poutine with, you know what I mean? So like I had to learn how to braise short ribs with him so we could do that you know like um my youngest one the first meal he made with me was he wanted to make shrimp dumplings like steamed dumplings like japanese steamed dumplings again do you know how many stores i went to trying to find like the dumpling to make this like meal um but they they're doing it and so like i mean whether it's bento boxes japanese bento boxes um curry shrimp with coconut rice like i mean they they're and they're good like i i help walk them through it um but i bought them their own little ceramic knives so they could have knives that were more their 
size to handle and they, they do the work. And I just, I, I kind of, my youngest chef calls uh, my youngest son. He wants to be a professional chef. He calls me his sous chef and he's the head chef. And I'm not, I, he legit won't let me touch things unless he gives me the directive to go do it. Like, okay, dad, I'm going to do this. You go cut the potatoes. Now you know how to cut those, right? Dad. I'm like, yeah, I think I can figure it out. Um, you know, <laughs> he tries to give me the most medial tasks in the world and I'm like, all right, that's fine. And he, but then like plating it is so important. Like they wanted, like I had to buy special plates one week because he wanted it plated a certain way. And I've been trying to indulge their ideas. And so I'm like, all right, let's do this. But it's been awesome. Like so much fun. And I know some of you, like I post little pictures on our, our Voxers or on our Facebook page. And it, my wife's like, why are you posting? I'm like, cause it's fun. Like look at what your boys are doing. Like it, it's, you know, like I, I'm proud of them, but it's also, it's just cool. And again, well, like I told you, I, I always want to make people's lives better. If like, if that's one thing that can make somebody smile, like, Hey, what's, what's Owen and Leo making for dinner? Like, Hey, let's do it. You know, like, and, and, you know, I really, I don't know. It's not about me as much as it's about just having fun with them doing it. Um, and giving them those experiences and those, that, that time with them, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been great. You know, we've, we've loved it doing it. I'm, I'm, uh, this week, I don't know what we're doing. Owen, it's, it's Leo's turn. Oh, he's got some crazy idea. He wants to somehow make using food to make a a Santa Claus face. So I I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm trying to actually talk him out of it because it just doesn't sound very good. Um, but he's been good so far. So I, I got to like go with it a little bit. So we'll see what it comes out with. Oh my gosh. I love it. You know, I'm laughing here too. Like, like last night we, I cooked dinner, I cooked dinner and it got thrown out because I am not a cook. I can't cook. I don't pretend to cook. Um, and so I absolutely love that, you know, again, that's a, that's a strength, that's a passion and they're growing it. And I just mm-hmm. think that's so, so important. And it, and it hits on, I think a really important part that that I early on, I struggled as a parent was, was that time was this concept of time. And, and people will ask me now, like, Lindsay, you work, you know, full-time as a behavior specialist, you have a business, you have a family. Um, I'm very adamant about, I do my own time every single day. And like, there's just not enough time. I'm like, well, there never is, if that's your mindset, right? There never is enough time. If you don't believe there's enough time, I believe there's always enough time. That to me is a standard. And I think what's important though, is that what I learned is I used to think there was these, like, it ha- like time had to be 60 minutes for it to count. Like in that, you know, as an example. And so if I didn't have an hour or two hours, well, I didn't have time. And now I'm like, if I have even five minutes, that is more than enough time. And, you know, Kaylee, my daughter has been really into games lately, um, like Yahtzee, Uno, those kind of, you know, board games, like old fashioned board games, which I'm loving. And so every day we get home from work, she's like, can we play Yahtzee? Like today we played for an hour. I'm like, absolutely. And I thought we'd play for five, 10 minutes, but she was so into it. And then she was she was like, I'm going to make up my own math game. Because to her, like, Yahtzee is a form of math because she's got to count and add. And I'm like, yeah, do it. She came up with her own game. I came up with my own game. And it was just an amazing time. Um, but there was no parameters. There was no, well, we might, you know, we have to do this. And I think so if, if you know, you're listening and you're like, where, again, where do I start? Start with five minutes. Start with, yeah. and actually start with getting rid of the time frame. Like, start with moments. And once you can enjoy those moments, they get to build into things. But if we have this preconceived, I don't have enough time, I might as well not even start. Well, then then you're not going to start because that's what you're telling yourself. You can't you can't fight it either. Like, I'll admit, I'm a huge football fan. Um, I love the Bears, even though they're a dumpster fire this year. Um, but I absolutely love them. And and so like I, a couple of years ago, and and for the you know for a while, like I wasn't really following them as much as I used to because it was one of those like you said, I didn't have the time. I wasn't letting myself have the time. And so this year, I was like in the last couple of years, I've been like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I want three hours a week that I can sit and watch the football game. And so this year though, with the pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I want to watch the football game. And my youngest one can't stand watching the football game. And he tells me this 24 seven, like dad, why are you turning football on? I hate football. I'm like, okay. So I came up with a compromise. We get to watch the football game, but Bring the football game. I'll play a board game with you guys. So I sit, we play, we've been doing Yu-Gi-Oh battles, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, um, which I've gotten really, I, I enjoy that. And my deck is awesome. Um, but we, we, we play board games. We, we, we play Yu-Gi-Oh cards and they get their time and with me and they don't realize that I have the football game out in the background. I, I, 
I'm, am I watching it as intently as I maybe would normally? No, but you know what? What's more important, watching them get smashed in football or or spending a, you know, a couple hours with my boys playing a board game that they're going to look forward to every week. So, you know, you, you try to find like, so you, that, that, like you said, blending it together. Um, how can I get what I need out of it and still give them what they need and find that, that way to compromise the two of them. And so I think that's the importance of, you know, you can, like you said, time is finite. Like there is, so if you look at it and say there's not enough time, then there's not enough time because you're not even, you're not even starting to give yourself enough. Um, I'm probably more optimistic than most people with, with stuff in general. Like I'm always like, Hey, if you give me five minutes, I'm going to take that five minutes and I'm going to enjoy that five minutes. And then I'll deal with not having more later. But right now I'm going to enjoy this five minutes. You know, um, it, you know, if you're going to tell me that, you know, some, the world's going to end in two weeks, I know it's a dark idea, but guess what? I'm not going to sit for two weeks and complain about it. I'm going to live my life. We're, I'm doing all the things I wanted to do. Like, um, you know, my, uh, the, my wife and I, when we first started dating, watched the bucket list together. She thought it was a very sad movie. I thought it was an amazing movie. Like, Hey, these two guys, took their last time on earth and they found the way to make the best of it and improve other people's lives. Like to me, that was awesome. She was like, Ray, that's really dark. I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, um, but I, I, that's the way I look at it is like, give me two weeks. I'm gonna do the most I can with those two weeks. Give me 80 years. I'm going to do the most I can with those 80 years. Um, give me five minutes. I'm going to take those five minutes and make them as, as good as I can. And, and I think that's so important because we always want more, you know, like you always want more. So are you going to be happy with what you have and take the best advantage of it? Or are you going to look for more, you know? Um, and, and if you're looking for more, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to be happy. And, and to me, you're always going to just feel like you don't have, and, and you can't do that. Yeah. And it's so, and it's, and it's absolutely true because if you are wanting more then what you're really saying is what I have right now is not enough. Mm -hmm. And I live in the land, like what I have right now is more than enough. And it gets to keep being more than enough because I'm, I'm worth it. And I love, you know, what you had just said that, you know, yes, it's so much about your boys and spending time with your family, but you included you in that. You said, it's also about me. And I think I, that comment alone is so hard. I think for a lot of educators, I know for me, for years, it was, that was my, that was my journey. It's, it's, that's what my journey became. And then I finally said, enough is enough. I've got to do something different because I have no idea who I am anymore. And so I, I had to, you know, one, believe that I deserve to be at the table with everybody and I deserve, but I had to even believe that I deserve to have a seat, like in general, like, and I think it's just really important for, you know, anybody listening, for educators listening to include yourself in that, you know, if you're spending time with your family, you are part of that family. You are there. If you're in your classroom, you are a part of that. Like, don't just say, well, it's about them. And it's always about them because you matter as well. Who you are is, is what matters most because this is your life that you're creating every day. Yeah. I mean, you know, I told my teachers, we had a, a leadership meeting today and I was like, listen, the two days before winter break are teacher prep days. You guys, they're yours. We're not putting any meetings in those. I want you to use those. And I mean, get as much done as you can in those two days. Cause I want you to unplug over winter break. I don't want to hear from you. You know, like, I don't want you asking questions. I don't want you working. I want you to unplug, spend that time. You need to find that, that way to unplug, to have that time for you. I don't I love to travel and you know, you get on the airplane. What do they tell you? If the plane, you know, if those air masks come down, you put yours on first and then you help your child or your, you know, the people around you, because if you aren't taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to help them. And then you're going to have two people that are down. So, you know, I mean, it's such an analogy. I use it all the time with my teachers. Like, are you filling your bucket first? And that's not selfish. And, and as, as teachers, we all want to think like, Oh, I have to be the martyr and give up. And, and, and we don't like, Taking care of yourself doesn't mean you're being the martyr. Doesn't mean you're you're um, being selfish. You know, it, it it means that you're putting your best foot forward for your your class. You you know, if I'm if I'm in a good place, and guess what, I'm better for my teacher, my students. If I'm as a principal, if I'm making myself happy and I'm doing what I need to do to take care of myself, I'm gonna be better for my teachers, which means they're gonna be better for their students because I'm able to give it to them. So it's so important to take care. Now, obviously, you know there's, there's a line, you know, you can't put yourself in front of everybody when you're not taking care of other people too. But most, most teachers, and I will say it, most teachers have a heart of gold and are going to put everybody else first. And, and that, that's their, that's how they're wired. And so we often have to remind them like, no, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't have anything left for everybody else. And, and I mean, I think that's why we have so many teachers burned out. Um, why we have such a, you know, I mean, teacher shortage because teachers, everybody thinks to be a teacher, you have to put everybody else first 
first and you're, you're secondary and you're, you're less and, and no, you know, guess what? Doctors get paid a ton. Lawyers get paid a ton because they demand it. They don't settle for less and, and, and they don't put the, in, doctors don't go or lawyers don't go into, into firms and go, yeah, I'm just happy to be here. No, they go in there and say, I'm going to be here and you're the right firm for me. So I'm going to work for you. And you've won my, my, my ability to work for you. Guess what, teachers? I, when I interview teachers, man, I know they're interviewing me too. They better be. They should be. They should be making sure I'm this place they want to be. And I've had people that I've interviewed that I've offered positions to that have gotten position offers for other districts for more money in a better a position they wanted more. And they're like, no, I, I came to work for you because I could just tell that you wanted to see me succeed. You wanted what was best for me. And I think I'm going to be happier here. And, and there's something about that. You know, there's something about being happy and taking care of yourself too. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So I don't even know. We have, we have shared, you have shared so much advice already in this. It's already been an hour, which blows my mind how fast these, these, these chats go. And again, another great example of time, right? So We've all been in moments where that hour feels like 10 and we're like, oh my gosh, this is, the, it can, how was it only an hour? And then you've been in moments like this for me where it's like, oh my gosh, it's been an hour. How is that? How is that possible? It feels like five minutes. So again, time, yeah, 60 minutes is 60 minutes, but your energy, your, your presence, your intentionality, back to the word we talked about earlier, it's what's going to make five minutes feel like five hours or it's going to make you know, five minutes feel, you know, the way that you want it to feel. And so I think it's just so important. So is there, or, or what, I guess, last piece of advice would you like to leave the Define You listeners with? I think it's all about relationships and connections and those, and your interactions with people. Like, don't miss the opportunities and, and make the world for yourself, for others, the way you want to see it. We can, you know, you can sit and complain about it or you can do something about it. Um, I'm more on the long lines of, Hey, roll up your sleeves and do something. You know, like I, I don't, complaining doesn't do anything. It's like sitting in a rocking chair. You might move a lot, but you're not getting anywhere, you know? And so, you know, like you have to, you have to take your opportunities and there aren't many, you know, there are a lot of times where you, if you miss the one opportunity, you missed it. It's gone. And so don't, whether that is spending time with your family, whether that is taking that opportunity with a student or a teacher, or whether that is taking two seconds to take a breath and take time for yourself, like find those things and make sure you make them um, what you want them to be. You know, it, it, we have to do that in life in general, but it, with students and schools, man, we have a tough job. And like I said, it's a great job. I love it. Um, I, I am lucky and I'm sure a lot of people in education are, I get up every morning. I'm excited to go to work. I, I, I don't even care if I know I'm going to have a rough day. Like I know it's still a great day, you know, it, it you know, but it's also because that's what I make out of it. I'm going to go and do what I want to do with my life. And that is be with kids, work in schools, you know, um, help teachers, help people, help make the world a better place. So um, make the world what you want to be, you know, take every opportunity. No, I could not agree more. Ray, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story, so much of your passion. It, it literally comes through in everything you say, you say and talk about. And I so appreciate that. It's been a blast having you on. So thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you. I, I told you, once I found your podcast, I listened to it. And I think I actually shared it with my staff last week or two weeks ago, your uh, teacher island. I shared it with my whole staff. I'm like, you guys need to listen to this. Um, and and I, I've, everything you say resonates with me. And so to even just be on this is just an honor. And I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your message and the opportunity to be a part of it. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you so much. Um, I will be back next week with another new episode coming your way. And so until then, always remember to trust who you are, love who you are, own who you are and use those to help you define who you are. Until next week, everyone have an awesome week ahead and I'll talk to you soon.